You are listening to the Beyond the High Road podcast with Shelby Milford, episode number 35. Stay tuned. Welcome to Beyond the High Road. Y'all, can you believe it's been 35 episodes? When I said it just now, I was like, oh my gosh, just feels like, I don't know, seems like a lot. I guess it has been, let's see, we're in June. This is the eighth month. Wow, you guys, 35 plus a couple bonus episodes, I think. You know, there was a time not so long ago that I was super down on myself, okay? This was like coming out of the depression a couple few years back. And one of the things that I remember saying to myself a lot was that I, because I'm ADHD, the evidence that I would always bring up to myself is that I wasn't disciplined and I have no follow through. I was convinced that I was not the type of person that had the discipline to stick with something for an extended period of time. So I didn't ever commit to doing things for an extended period of time because I thought, oh, well, if I never did it before, then I wasn't going to be able to create it now, right? Or then. It's funny, you know, the kinds of things that we speak over ourselves. And then, of course, then we look for and create more evidence to prove that thing, even if that thing that we're trying to prove is something that works to our disadvantage. Hopefully I'm making sense there. So I was like convinced that I never followed through on anything. And so then for years, I never followed through on anything. So just now reminded me of the fear that I had around starting this podcast, you know, initially I was like, oh, what if I don't continue it? What if I stop? Those were just fears that came up that I before would pay attention to and allow to dictate my future, right? And so it's funny what happens when you don't allow those human everyday fears and thoughts to, to run your life anymore. And before you know it, you're 35 episodes in. <laughs> before I forget, I we have a special going on for the Healing and Reinvention Program. I'm actually going to have some testimonials coming out soon for you guys. But for the month of June right now, it is $59 for the first month. And you can cancel at any time. There's no like contracts or any weird haggle or whatever. I am that confident that when you join that you will love it and want to stay. But yeah, I'm telling you, you're crazy if you don't jump on this bandwagon. It's really, truly like you get so much value. I've been working so hard that it is the 31st of May and I am still finishing up writing the book and recording the videos because I have really poured my heart and my soul into June's curriculum. June is going to be about beliefs and creating new possibilities for yourself. So that is all I will say about that. Just go to beyondthehighroad.com to look more into it, to get more information about it, okay? Today, we're going to be talking about something that I've mentioned before in passing, but I realized that I hadn't ever really taken the time to define it and talk with you guys about it here in this setting, and that is disenfranchised grief. It can come in all different shapes and sizes, and that's what I want to go over today because my point for this episode is to kind of just give you the information to help you sort through. And if you have been experiencing this and you just didn't know that there was a name for it, then now you know. 
So we're going to say that today because the chances are that you might have experienced this in your past, in your history. So it might help to hear some of the stuff and go, oh, yeah, that's what happened back then. That explains such and such. such. Sometimes it just helps to hear the examples. Okay. So grief, I think the dictionary says grief is a natural response to loss, but I want to add in there perceived loss. And this is actually very important when it comes around to disenfranchise grief, which we'll get into in just a second. But so grief is a natural response to perceived loss. Okay. It's the emotions that you experience when someone or something that you love exits your life. Okay. And the reason I stress that something is that for years, we as a society only endorsed the idea of grieving, having a a period of grieving when somebody passed away. But that was where many people drew the line. Anything that outlies a traditional death in your immediate family could be considered or somebody could experience disenfranchised grief. Basically, when our grief is dismissed, minimized, or unacknowledged. This term came about back, I don't know, decades ago, I think like in the 80s, by a guy named Daka, D-O-K-A. He was a professor. He taught grief. He was teaching a class and they were talking about types of grief. And one of his students raised their hand in class. And she said, you should try going through grief of your ex-husband. And he was so interested in what she had to say that he made a study out of it and came up with the term disenfranchised grief. And what she was talking about, his students at the time, I hope I'm getting this right, spend some time. She had divorced a guy due to an extramarital affair he was having with their neighbor or her best friend or somebody like that. And those two went on to get married. So husband went and got married to the neighbor, best friend, whoever, and they had a relationship. And then like within a matter of two years, her now ex-husband dropped dead from a heart attack, okay? But she really hadn't fully gotten over being with this man that she was married to for like over 20 years or something. Then he just passed away. And so she experienced disenfranchised grief because she'd already divorced him. So people sort of dismissed her feelings of grief that she had about it. So that was the start of the term. As alienated parents, we also experience, many of us, most of us, dare I say all of us, experience disenfranchised grief in our own way. DACA defines disenfranchised grief as When a person experiences a loss that is not openly acknowledged, socially supported, or publicly mourned, okay? So somebody can go through a perceived loss that may not be recognized by the public or by the people in your community as a valid loss, one that warrants your grieving. When this happens, it can prolong the duration of said grief And it can also intensify the effects or the symptoms of grief. Of course, until you have the knowledge, the awareness about what is happening with you and how you can help yourself through this process. And I'll share it towards the end, but we can also perpetuate or sort of instigate the disenfranchisement of our own selves in the grief. So as long as you are helping to support your own self, this does not have to be a problem or an issue for you. 
So there are all different shapes and sizes of disenfranchised grief, meaning that like it can happen for many different reasons. Miscarriages is among the top, okay? For two reasons, actually. Other people will dismiss the intensity because people come from the frame of mind Oh, we never actually interacted with the child that was in your stomach. So it's different. It's not the same as losing a child who you parented for however many years. So people definitely minimize the the loss that both a mom and a dad can feel when it comes to a miscarriage. And then also because miscarriages, they're like a private affair, people don't know how to address the issue with the person who's had the miscarriage. Another one is pet loss. It's becoming more accepted these days. People are much more in tune and realize that our pets are often perceived as another family member. So people are a bit more compassionate with this in very recent years. But still, this is one that I think still from a social standpoint, people just tend to minimize a little bit. Also, disenfranchised grief can be experienced when the death or loss of the person or thing happens in a non-traditional or unaccepted way. So that could be when somebody dies via suicide. A lot of times we, we treat that whole death experience much differently than we would somebody dying of a natural death. And the person, the people that survive them experience the effects of that. Think about like parents of like shooters, mass murderers. People say, oh, well, it's the parents' fault because the parents raised this mass murderer. But it's not always the case. And even so, that parent still is going to for sure experience a great deal of disenfranchised grief, right? People aren't supporting because it's their fault, but not recognizing that that person is still human and still has these intense emotions surrounding the death of their own child if they were killed. And then, of course, think about the school shootings, all of the other children's lives lost that this parent might feel responsible for. There's a lot of complex grief going on there. Disenfranchised grief can also happen when the person is not accepted. The person themselves is not accepted or is being shunned. For example, somebody's having an affair and they lose their partner. They are either hidden or pushed to the side or the rest of the family might be angry with them. And so there's all different ways that that can show up, right? But many times people look down upon the affair, forgetting that the person, questionable decisions or not, is still a human being and still has emotions and still feels grief the way that we all feel grief. A boyfriend or girlfriend, they're just dating. Because they're not married, it somehow lessens the blow or something. Homosexual, gay, lesbian relationships also. Some family members that are not accepting, they will often not support the person who has lost their partner, whether that was to they lost them to a death or maybe they broke up or divorced or whatever that is. It's not always supported the same as it would be if it were a heterosexual relationship. People don't see this as being a grievable situation, which is actually pretty crazy. And then, then of course, there's us. Our children didn't die, yet we mourn the loss of our role in their lives every day. We mourn the idea that we would play this role for at least 18 years, but really we expected to play this role for the rest of our lives. It's way less common for a parent to survive their child. 
usually the children will see their parents pass away for obvious reasons, right? My brother passed away some years ago and my mom is still grieving. She goes to the cemetery still on a very regular basis. The grieving process there is just, it's so intense, right? A parent never thinks they're going to survive their child. And when it happens, it's just the shock, learning to accept that the parent knows a world in which their own child is not in. In our case, we have the same exact experience, except these children, our children have not died. Thank goodness. But we've lost so much time, robbed of so many moments, right? And that is real shit. Like, you know, that I'm, every week when I talk to you, my goal and my intention is to help you to adopt a new, more helpful mindset around how to move through life and how to create a new future, knowing that you are experiencing this grief, right? This intense, complex, prolonged grief. Yeah. I don't often take the moments to recognize the real intense grief and sorrow and all of the feelings that come along with grief that we do feel, but it is real shit, right? There are so many moments that we have truly lost with our children in the past, in the present, and probably in the future, yeah? I don't like to focus on that always because I think that it can get us into an unhelpful way, habit of thinking. We need to be able to function in the everyday world. But I do believe it's very important to recognize the real predicament that we are in because we, you know, we're dealing with complex PTSD. So in our case, we have to reckon with the fact that our children are in fact alive and well out there in the world, but we just happen to not be part of those lives, most of us anyway, not in the way that we would have it be. We have lost the ability to parent in the way that we expected to when we signed up for this whole parenting deal. This is not the way that we we imagined doing it far from the way we imagined doing it. And because we're going through such an intense, unfamiliar type of grief, we're going to have also some real intense, unfamiliar sort of responses to it that maybe we aren't even aware of when it's happening. People deal with loss in their own unique way. And oftentimes the coping mechanisms that we have don't show our grief on the outside. Instead, we cover it up with a behavior. The first thing that came to mind was um, Silver Linings Playbook, right? Where Jennifer, what's her name's character in it, her husband died when they were on the side of a highway or something like that. The way that she dealt with her grief is that she went and slept with all these guys, like just one after another, after another, after another. <laughs> I'm not comparing us to that or me to that, but it it's so typical for us when we're going through a period of grief and loss that we cover it up by numbing ourselves with some other kind of behavior. And so in this case, it was with sex, with guys, but we can do it in all sorts of ways. So the manner in which people grieve is not socially acceptable to whoever the audience, if you will, is. People may not like or are uncomfortable with the way a person chooses to grieve. And many times the person who is grieving doesn't even 
know that they're grieving. That is a very common experience is that they're still sort of in a denial or not fully aware of what's going on. Even just going out and seemingly having fun out in public and laughing and carrying on with your own life, people will make their own assumptions and then minimize the actual effects on you or the person grieving, right? And so then they'll be like, oh, well, they seem to be doing fine so that it must not be bothering them so much. And the onlookers aren't really taking into consideration that how the person is acting most often has no reflection on how they are feeling on the inside. People want to put people in boxes. We want to sort and put things in categories. This is the way that our brain organizes things. So it makes sense that this happens. When we are grieving the loss of our the time with our child, right? We're grieving people wanting to categorize and wanting to make sense of it all will look at us and be like, oh, well, they must have done something awful if they've lost their kid or if their kid is rejecting them or whatever they're saying, right? They want to make sense of it. People want to be able to put anything in a box and shut it and tie it up into a bow and be done with it. That's the way the brain works. It's not necessarily the person who is trying to demonize or put you in a box. We just want to explain things to ourselves. We want to put it to bed and move along. But the problem that, with that is though, on our side of things, when they fault you for, in this case, your situation of alienation, then they also oftentimes will deem it not necessary for you to grieve, for you to be sad. I like to think that most people aren't doing that to be cruel. I think that just people don't understand how the brain works and really what they're choosing. It's just the easiest choice. So they will look at us and be like, oh, well, it's their fault anyway. So if they didn't want that to happen, then they shouldn't have done this stuff. And so then they have no tolerance and don't expect us to need to grieve. And they couldn't be further from the truth. So we don't have the right to grieve. But then when we do act out of the norm for what grieving should look like, then they also have a problem with that right? So it's a contradiction. And they're like, well, why are they acting like that if they said that they were so upset? And so they're double, they're judging in a contradictory sort of way. Most of the time, they're not doing it for the purpose of hurting you or being intolerant. What they don't know is that the reason that you could be seemingly continuing on with life or out partying or sleeping around like Jennifer Lawrence's character, <laughs> that the reason that you you might be doing that is as a direct result of the, the grief and the loss and the stress response that you might still be going through, right? They're not, they're not aware that this is a coping mechanism of yours, right? Which if, at least if I knew that that was happening with somebody, I think that I would that to me would warrant extra understanding and extra compassion. Like for me, the alienating strategies began pretty early on. And because I felt uneasy every time my daughter would go over to her dad's house because of how I saw that he was not supportive of my relationship with my own daughter, 
I was very much uneasy. And so because of that, I would go out and drink in order to numb these feelings that I didn't understand. This anxiety that I had as a result of the behaviors that I was seeing, especially early on when my daughter was still just a a babe, just barely walking, I was in shock. And so these uncomfortable emotions were coming up for me and I, I, I didn't know what to do. And so I would drink. And so this was a way for me to deal with my my grief. I didn't know what was happening at the time. But now, like, if I picture me grieving, I don't know that going out and dancing on bars would be my first choice. But back then, I didn't know what was happening. And nor did anybody else around me. They just knew that things were weird with my ex and I. But my whole reason for going out and acting so crazy was because I didn't know how to deal with the emotions that I had and the grief that I felt due to the disconnect that happened when she would leave my arms and go to his home when she was there for overnight and sometimes two nights in a row and for spring break and thereafter. You know, it was like I, as soon as I handed her over into his arms or into his then new wife's arms, I had to shut it off and pretend like I didn't have a child, which was so very strange to me. And so I was grieving the loss of this life that I thought that I was going to always have, right? This role that I would have in my daughter's life that there would be continuity. This wouldn't be shut on and off like a light switch. I agreed also the idea for her of her parents, the roles that we would have in her life and the normalcy that she was undoubtedly going to be missing. From an early time, I was grieving that for her. I hated it for her. And so there's a lot of aspects of this grief that we feel, right, but that very few people understand. And when I was going through it, and I'm sure there's a lot of you out there too, that when I was going through it, there wasn't so much information on the internet. I didn't know that there was a name for it. I just know that shit was really weird. It was like Twilight Zone and I didn't understand. And I kept trying to, I was like, am I to blame here? Like, you know, I I couldn't figure it out, but it was just, I knew it was wild. I knew it was exhausting. It was like, I was constantly in a state of emergency, but so I didn't even know how to bring it up to other people so that I could feel supported. I was listening to a podcast a couple of days ago and they were talking about you when you experience a loss in your life, no matter what it is, when you're experiencing the symptoms of grief, that the best thing that you can do, I think maybe it was about post-traumatic growth, the best thing that you can do is have support. The human connection is one of the most healing things in the early stages of your grief, right? But this is one thing that we don't have many times anyway. I know for me, for sure, back then, I didn't even know that there was a name for it. I I didn't know who to reach out to, okay? And I know my, the, my regular everyday friends and my clients and class members, people that would come and take my classes at the gym, they were just regular suburban moms, you know, (laughs) going to take their 8 a.m. spin class. Everybody had three and a half kids and a suburban and, you know, whatever. And so they didn't know what I was going through. So with the loss of, of this traditional 
family and my daughter having one home and under one roof and all of that because of the alienation with the divorce, I was also losing, I was isolated from connecting with all of my peers. There was no choice in that matter. Very few people understood what I was going through, especially because I had no words for what was happening. And I know that you guys relate to this. I don't always like to talk about me, 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 like this is what happened to me. But I know that you will also be able to identify with this. So yeah, there's a lot of complexity to the grief that we feel. The, the main theme for today is, is this unsupported grief that we experience when we are alienated from our kids. We often will do it to ourselves too. This is another thing. Because we don't know how to explain what is going on, especially early on, or for me, I was always like, this is such a heavy subject. Nobody wants to talk about this. I don't want to bring anybody down. This is just so much. They'll think I'm crazy. All of these things. We sort of presuppose what the other person is going to say or do or how they're going to feel. And so oftentimes we underestimate their capabilities and their willingness to support us. So we will be like, oh, no, it's too heavy. They don't want to hear about this. They have their own problems, you know. Or the what will they think about me? So we sort of self-isolate, of course, increasing the intensity of this unsupported grief that we're feeling, this disenfranchised grief. We have this whole story about the fact that we think that they won't support us. And so we stay closed off. And then, of course, we also stay unsupported. So yeah, we often assume the worst about the person who could potentially be a support for us. We perpetuate the state of feeling isolated. If you're anything like me, you know, we could be in a room packed full of people and we could still feel alone and isolated because we at least perceive that they do not and will not understand us and where we're coming from. And oftentimes it's true. Oftentimes those people will not understand. Yeah. But we don't even give them the opportunity to try. And so that's where I think that things, one of the things that we can change, if you want to receive support, you have to ask. Knowing that whoever's on the other side of that, the person that you're asking, they could possibly react in a funky way. They could shut down. They could not know how, what to do on their end, right? But when we allow them to be fully them, then that's on them, right? And then we're not supposing and taking, putting on their responsibility onto us because of all the things that we already are feeling. And then on top of that, we want to take responsibility for, for the potential support. It's only sort of shooting our own selves in the foot. But, but it happens, right? We don't want to burden the person. That was always my thing. I don't want to burden them with my problems. It's just so much. So much to take. And because once you start explaining, it's like diarrhea of like back then, I know I felt like I needed to over explain and make sure that I laid my case out perfectly so they would understand and all of that too. When you do that, you are literally trying to play their role too. Like you're over here and then you're coming over here and trying to play their role and then come back over here. And <laughs> it's exhausting. You can't do that. Right. So now I have friends that understand that have experienced some form of alienation as well. I have friends that I can bounce the stuff off of. But learning how to ask for support and ask for 
you know, just a friendly shoulder uh, when you need it, I think is an essential skill to have. In fact, speaking of that, I actually have a a video on that. What to say when they ask how your kids are is what the name of it is. But it's basically like how to address your situation of alienation with anybody that's asking. And also you could use it in this scenario when if you feel like you want to reach out for some support from some people, yet they don't actually know what you're going through. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can watch it. It's been a couple few years ago that I made the video, but it's still the information's all valuable. And there's a little website you can send the people to. It's actually great. So just a little resource for you. My moral of the story there was learn to ask for support when you need it. If it's not from another alienated parent, there's a way to do it, a way to address and talk about your situation without oversharing my resources. It tells you how to limit it to three to four sentences or less if you want and not walk away feeling like, oh, because <laughs> that, that was something that would have been really valuable for me because back in the day when everything was going on and I didn't have the friends that I have now, I didn't know how to address it with them because I wanted them to still like me. And I definitely wanted them to understand my situation without coming off like a crazy person. I didn't know how to do it. And I would always end up walking away from the conversation like, oh, so that's why I made that the, the video for people. Yeah. So we can cause the unsupported grief for our own selves without even really intending to do that because we're trying to care for the person that could be the potential support for us. So one thing I didn't visit was why others dismiss us, right? Why the disenfranchised grief happens. Other people sometimes will dismiss the experience of grief because sometimes people do it as a, their own coping mechanism for a few reasons. But one of them, because if, if they allow themselves to open up to it, to this idea that you're grieving, they'll have to recognize the grief for themselves. And that is scary for them. They don't know how to deal with it. And it makes them super uncomfortable. People don't want to open themselves up to that because they think that they are becoming vulnerable by addressing or acknowledging the loss that a person is experiencing, right? So also, if a person, this happened to me, when my brother passed away, one of my friends came over to my house, I'll never forget it, and she was so aloof. It was the weirdest experience. It was completely disproportionate. She was very aware that my brother had literally just passed away unexpectedly. And she was, I think, asking me, let's go out with the girls and let's do this and that. And it came off to me very insensitive. But I didn't even say it because I think I was still in a state of shock and all the things. I was, you know, in the middle of grief. <laughs> but it was so odd to me. Like for a couple of weeks afterwards, I was like, why does she act this way? And then I asked her if she'd ever lost anybody close to her. And she hadn't. She had no clue what I was going through. And for whatever reason, she didn't even really consider how that might feel for her. So some people dismiss your grief because they've never experienced any of those kinds of hardships for if they have, they did not deal with them themselves. And they are fearful that if they open themselves up to the grief that you are feeling, then in turn, that would force them to look at their own situation. Also, 
others will dismiss any grief that you might be feeling because they think that by addressing it or acknowledging it to you, that it will cause you more pain. This is very, very common. So they just figure if they don't mention it, then they're not hurting you. My dad does this often with me. And I know it's not something that he's intentionally trying to be insensitive about, you know what I'm saying? But it comes off very insensitive. I've never really told him that, but it's true. It comes off very insensitive when somebody just approaches you when they know that you are grieving and they just pretend like it's not happening, right? Many people do this and it has nothing to do with you or their feelings about you. They are doing this because they themselves do not know how to deal with the possible awkwardness. They say it like, oh, I didn't want to cause you any pain. But really, <laughs> most of the time, it's that they didn't want to feel the awkwardness, right? And they think by bringing it up to you, some people think, oh, I just didn't want to, you know, bring it back up as if you can forget about it, right? Especially when it comes to your situation of alienation. It's not like you're going to wake up one day and forget that your child isn't there. But they don't, they, I don't know that they think so rationally about it. Like my dad will do this where he will like, she's getting to a good spot right now. Bringing it up would only bring her down. And in fact, the opposite is true. Bringing it up, the story I would tell myself is that my dad cares and that he's checking in. But in his mind, he thinks, oh, I don't want to bring her down. So that is some of the, the insight anyway, or the thoughts that I have about disenfranchised grief. But yes, this is something that we as alienated parents, when alienation strategies begin, I kind of feel like also you get your disenfranchised grief card handed <laughs> to you at the same time. In summary, people from the outside judge how much or little loss you felt and therefore grief you should feel as a result. And nobody can do that. Your grief, however you experience it, is unique to you and it matters. It really fucking matters. Your grief is yours and nobody can tell you how to feel it, for how long to feel it, for how intense to feel it, to how little, what you should do with it, how you should behave when you're feeling it. Nobody can tell you. You are the only one that can determine what your grief looks like. And that may change on a daily, sometimes minutely basis, right? There is no rhyme or reason or rules to follow when it comes to the way that you feel your grief or how long your healing takes or whatever. So yeah, I do want to say that the one thing, like I mentioned before, the one thing that you can control is your ability to reach out and get support, request support when you need it. It's like the number one resource for people that are going through grief that have come from a traumatic event is to have human connection, have the, the experience of being able to share with and talk with other people about what is going on and have those people, even if they have never experienced it before, just knowing that they are there and somebody to share with plays an integral part in your healing. Knowing that you aren't isolated from the world. And even if the person that you're sharing with and connecting with hasn't exactly had the experience and dealt with alienation, they have had isolated maybe experiences that 
they can relate to with regard to the aspects of alienation. Everybody's been bullied before, I'm sure. Everybody out there has felt betrayed before. People have been scared for their children before. There are lots of individual things that people have felt in their own ways and can relate to. So the person across from you or the person that you are relying on for support or asking to support you does not have to be somebody that has experienced alienation and they don't have to understand all the aspects of the experiences that you've gone through in order to be a support for you. And so I guess my message here is just to not underestimate the person or the people that you choose to include in your healing process. Okay. We are already short of so much and the suffering in so many ways. Don't let yourself be one of the reasons why. Don't don't hold your own self back. Okay. Is my point. So it's your grief. You experience it however you want. It's unique to you. And there is nothing wrong with how you're doing it. And that is all I have for you guys. So I hope you enjoyed. And please, if you haven't already, if you love what you're hearing, I would love it if you would rate and review. It helps other parents like you and I to find us. And if you're finding relief in it, I'm hoping that they do too. Okay. You guys have a great week. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. I'm honored that you chose to share your time with me. If you like what you've been hearing and you want more, come join me in the new monthly membership where we take the concepts that you hear about here and using a logical framework, you learn to apply them to your specific situations, upgrading your thoughts and your life, even while experiencing the grief of alienation. For more information, go to beyondthehighroad.com. See you soon.